Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. The Guardian. Hello, and welcome to Brexit Means. I'm Dan Roberts. This, you would think, is a big week. The first full round of negotiations is underway in Brussels. It's 390 days since the referendum, 111 days since Article 50 was invoked. But Brexit Secretary David Davis isn't in Brussels. He's back in London to meet a cabinet that hasn't even finished negotiating amongst itself. With me to work out what on earth Brexit means today is our Brussels correspondent, Jennifer Rankin. Hi, Jennifer. Hello, Dan. Thank you very much for joining me. It's a busy week for you. Um, and you're over there uh, as with all the officials. Um, what do they make of it, this um, this chaos? I mean, they must think we've gone stark raving mad, don't they? Yes, well, I think it's beginning to feel like a bad soap opera in Brussels with lots of plot twists and turns and still a lot of confusion about how it's all going to end. And what you continually pick up is that there's a sense that the British government doesn't really know where it's heading and it doesn't have a plan. But I think the biggest worry of all is there's a lot of uncertainty about whether the Prime Minister will have the authority to sell the Brexit deal, whatever results, to sell that to the British public. Do you think a change of Prime Minister might go down well uh, in the EU now? Do they think that all this Tory shenanigans might produce a stronger government or or are they not even at that level of... of contemplation yet i would say they are they're watching with interest they are they are gripped by the the different plots twists and turns but i i don't think there's a view that a, a different prime minister would make things any better or worse if anything you you hear some diplomats say well well maybe uh, theresa may is is the best option for a for a brexit result because ultimately the another prime minister could be a michael gove or a boris johnson so you hear a few diplomats saying that but m- most of the time people are sort of a, a bit uh, wary of speculating on on what's happening in the UK and and just genuinely very uncertain. Yes, I mean one theory I've heard here, which I think has a um, some internal logic, is the idea that David Davis may well be the best option for a uh, the next prime minister, mainly because he has the unique combination of being both an ardent Brexiteer but also someone who's experienced the reality of the negotiations and how little clout and leverage we actually have, and therefore he may be the one to sell a climb down like Nixon going to China or something he may be the one with the credibility uh, among the Tory right to actually produce some kind of compromise I mean how is he seen personally by Barnier and the team do they do they think he's someone they can do business with I think that they certainly see him as, as someone they can do business with uh, he uh, he's known Michel Barnier um in a sort of 
in an on-off way for a long time. They were both Europe ministers in the early 1990s. I mean, there's clearly a, a sort of a, a rapport and a, and, uh, and knowledge there. I, I think that initially there was some skepticism from some diplomats that I picked up that, about whether David Davis really had a very deep grasp of the issues. He, when he visited national capitals on his Brexit grand tour the start of this year, I, there was some, um, some skepticism about what they heard. They felt that he wasn't really getting into all the details enough. So I can imagine, yes, that, that, that it's very plausible that he could be the person who could sell Brexit to the, to the Conservative backbenchers, but he also has to convince uh, the EU as well that he's on top of the brief. Yes. The people I feel sorry for at the moment are the, are, the, are the officials, particularly the British officials who are stuck there in these kind of window. Well, I don't, we don't know if they're windowless, probably not windowless, but certainly sort of airless offices um, trying to hammer things out this week, but without any political air cover, with their boss having gone home and without a very clear brief. I mean, do you think there is much they can get on with? I mean, of these three initial negotiating aims, are, are, are any of them doable without some bigger sense of what Britain actually wants? I think to be fair to, to David Davis, it's quite normal for these big international negotiations to, to happen at a, at a technical level for, for a good period of time without political leadership. And I, at the moment, the stage they are at is, is mapping out their differences on a whole host of issues. So it's not strictly necessarily for, for David Davis to be in the room. Uh, we know that they've split up into different teams to look at the big issues for the Brexit divorce, including EU citizens, the financial settlement, a whole host of other issues, and that these teams are working through line by line where they think they agree and where they disagree. And it's only when they've gone through that exercise that they'll begin to start talking about possible compromises. Yes, I mean, I suppose that makes sense that they would be dealing with the technicalities without necessarily having a minister in the room. But the bit I'm confused by is that you and I wrote a preview piece earlier this week talking about how important the European Court of Justice was to many of these issues, particularly the separation issues, that that's a, that's a, a big, possibly the biggest sort of gap between them at the moment is whether the ECJ should have a role going forward. And yet we know from talking to um, politicians back in the UK that the ECJ is one of those red lines where the government is wobbliest, that it may well have to back down. And there's a growing kind of recognition that perhaps it's sort of, it's, it, it, Theresa May was, 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 uh, had tied her hands in, in, uh, in the words of one special advisor by promising to kind of have no role for the ECJ. And I'm just kind of curious as to how an official, a British official goes through the motions of, of implying that the ECJ is a total red line. There's no way we can back down on this in the full knowledge that it, by next week, next month, next year, it could well be one of those things that just gets thrown out of the way. I mean, does that sort of give us, is it a slightly charade that they're going through at the moment? Or do you think they can sort of maintain that that, that, that line? I think the, the ECJ um, is, as a red line for the, e, for the EU will be more flexible in, in some areas. For example, it's clear that the EU wants to guarantee the, the integrity of their legal order, and that means the ECJ, when it comes to, uh, to transitional issues such as guaranteeing um, that EU product rules are still in place when Britain leaves the EU, for example, if there are uh, goods and, and services in transit on Brexit Day, that they would still be subject to EU rules. But when it comes to other issues, maybe there might be more room for flexibility, sort of looking, looking further down the road to a trade deal, which is, of course, 
still um, still many months away. We could we could get to a place where the EU might be willing to create some some kind of um, ECJ alternative. But ultimately, I think whatever whatever uh, court system they come up with, it will still be very much reflecting European rules and putting the ECJ sort of. Uh, body of, of, of law into, into practice. So I don't think you can go very far away from the ECJ. Mm. One of the other things that's fascinating me at the moment is there's a lot of talk in London, as you probably picked up, of, of, of a plan B, of, di- of different ways of approaching this, rather than the we can have our cake and eat it bluster that they started with. The Chancellor, Philip Hammond in particular, is pushing for um, a very long transition phase, one that may even not involve us leaving the single market and the customs union, which is what the, the business lobby, the CBI, has proposed. And what's puzzling me is that we haven't even worked out whether that's acceptable to the Tory party, but uh, let alone started to have discussions about whether or not this would be acceptable to the EU27. There's a presumption that because it's closer to what they're asking for in terms of sort of accepting some of the rules, at least temporarily on, 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 the, on the four freedoms, that, that, that it must be palatable. But I mean, it'd be very messy to have a long transition phase like that. I mean, what, what, did you, what do you think the, the rest of Europe might make of that if we do come back with a plan B? I think there's a, there's a real divide on the transition because it's clearly in, in the British interest, especially above all business, to get a transition deal as fast as possible. But the, uh, the Commission negotiators have said all along that they want to, to leave that until right at the end of the negotiating time, once they, they have a clearer idea of where the, the UK is heading. That creates, in the meantime, a lot of uncertainty for business, which, if anything, acts in the EU's favour because those businesses might decide that they're better off, after all, upping sticks and going to the continent rather than staying in the UK. So there's a real, there's, there's a clear gap in interests here. And and I, I think this is not going to, this is going to be very messy to resolve. Mm. I mean, I, one of the theories that you hear in London, perhaps from the more remain end of the spectrum, admittedly, but is that the plan B may very quickly become plan C anyway, that once you start conceding that, you know, we have to accept freedom of movement and the ECJ, the political arguments for Brexit start to fall apart and that maybe, um, but maybe there is still a chink of, of us changing our minds. Now, I'm, I'm, myself quite skeptical about whether politically that's palatable in the UK but I'm also curious about whether there is a window for that still in the EU we heard from the French president a couple of months ago I think well whenever Macron was elected suggesting that it could be possible uh, I've interviewed the president of the European Parliament before article 50 say before the election saying it could be possible but do you think that window for us completely changing our minds is closing how long have we got do you think you're right it's a, it's a really interesting question and we've seen only recently uh, lord kerr a former eu ambassador and the article uh, author of article 50 saying himself that it's time to to rethink and to and to stop brexit to have a national debate on this on this uh, massive question but for the eu it's it's very clear that the window is very short that the the uk will be leaving the eu on the 29th of march 2019 we know that because that will be 2 years after theresa may sent in the article 50 divorce letter so on the stroke of midnight the e- the uk will be out of the eu and as far as the eu is concerned there's no way back now of course we have heard some interesting words from from emmanuel macron the president of france for instance where he said 
that it's possible for the UK to change its mind, but it's only possible while these negotiations are ongoing and that once the UK is out, it will have to, to reapply for membership like any other country. Mm. I mean, do you think that um, there would be some pretty stiff uh, penalties applied if we did sort of put tail between legs and, 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 and ask to be let back in? I mean, what, what do you make of those various threats about the, um, the rebate going perhaps or being forced to join the single currency? Are these, are these inevitable, do you think, if we try and change our minds? Not, not inevitable, but I, I, it wouldn't be easy to come back and it would, be get, it would get harder the closer we get to exit day. I think on the on the rebate, it, it was inevitable, even if the UK was remaining uh, a, a member of the EU, that the rebate would be up for debate. We know the Germans don't like it, the Swedes don't like it, all the other net payers think it's unfair. Why should the UK get this rebate? And every, every time there's a big debate over the budget, the rebate is an issue. As for joining the, the single currency, I don't think that would really be on the agenda. I think the, the Eurozone members are, uh, are quite convinced they need to do a lot to reform their own uh, currency and there's still a long way from agreeing on that so I think it would be a big distraction to try and force countries that are reluctant to join into the, the Eurozone and, and that's why you, you see there's no pressure on Poland for example to join. Mm. Well so that's the, the talks the slightly surreal world of the talks the talks that aren't. Um, I, I wanted to talk a little bit with you about the real world what's going on uh in the british and european economies while this is all going on i mean since our last podcast um things have been starting to get quite real in the uk british business um is reeling the economy is beginning to sort of take a downturn investment is starting to stall the cbi as we discussed has been calling for what amounts to an indefinite delay to leaving the single market while we work out what a trade deal might look like um how does that contrast with the economic outlook in in the rest of Europe? People are feeling very optimistic now because there is more wind in the sails of the European economy. We've seen uh, the latest figures showing the lowest unemployment, fastest growth in manufacturing since the start of the financial crisis, with many countries doing, doing very well, with Germany booming and even Italy, France doing better, even Greece doing better. Of course, it's, it's important not to get too carried away that uh, unemployment is still high. Uh, still 9.3% in the Eurozone, higher in, in many countries and very high in, in Greece at 23%, which still faces years of austerity. But nonetheless, I think the, the figures have added to a sense of buoyancy, of optimism about the EU. And whereas six months ago or one year ago, there was a lot of doom and gloom about the EU, uh, a lot of, especially after Brexit, now there's a feeling that there's, there's a window of opportunity to make these reforms. And the, this growing strength in the economy is is really adding to that optimism mm. and what about the, the trade uh, negotiations we saw a few days ago uh, a very upbeat press conference with the japanese suggesting that europe and japan were on the brink of a of an historic trade deal how 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 close are they do you think was that slightly for show to kind of give the brits something pause for thought or or are, are they really made some substantive progress well, yes, well, you might hear a British diplomat saying that uh, the EU never loses an opportunity to tell you that it's about to sign a new uh, trade deal. And, uh, and we, we do still have some way to go. But, but, but there was a real breakthrough 
uh, last week on the EU-Japan trade talks. They have decided that they are going to, to move forward on this, on this trade deal. They finished most of the political negotiations, and now they're looking for a, a trade agreement to come into to force in 2019, so possibly just around the time that the UK is, is leaving the, the EU and the British government having always been one of the, the biggest supporters of this agreement. So it's an irony that's not lost on, on many in Brussels. I believe the word tragedy is the one you're looking for. Maybe. Yes, and the, the, that, that word as well. Um, and, and of course, the, the UK will be looking to sign its own trade deal with with Japan and uh, and, the, and the Japanese Prime Minister has said as much himself that he he would like to sign a trade deal with the UK after Brexit. That the Japanese are very concerned about what happens to their companies and investments in the UK after Brexit. But but as we know, these trade deals are are never easy and and certainly. Um, never short to negotiate. Mm. And what about the, the US? I mean, um, the, the Liam Foxes of this world were, were slightly more optimistic that we're still first in line for an American trade deal. Uh, certainly that's what Donald Trump was suggesting the other day. But uh, it was very noticeable he was doing that from continental Europe, which is where he visited rather than the UK, which is where he's currently not able to visit. I mean, are the Euro- Europeans finding it a bit easier to deal with Trump than perhaps they thought? What are the... what what What's the mood music there? Well, I don't know if easier is the right word, but certainly his his unpredictability is is predictable for for Europe now, and maybe and they've worked out a strategy of how to deal with them. For instance, when they had the G20 recently, uh, uh, Angela Merkel didn't make an attempt to hide the differences with with Trump over climate change, and those differences are clearly there. And if anything, it's strengthened the EU's commitment to to seeing through uh, its climate change goals. And then, uh, and then, of course, we saw this extraordinary show, as you mentioned, uh, when Trump was in uh, in Paris recently, and it was treated to a marching band and big parades with lots of tanks and soldiers, as well as dinner at the Eiffel Tower with Emmanuel Macron and his wife. They know how to push his buttons, don't they? Yes, yes. So the, the, the French certainly know how to put on a good show, and um, and of course there were lots of uh, lots of handshakes as well. Some very long handshakes where both presidents trying to show that they were they were really in, in control of uh, the situation. But it's very interesting that Emmanuel Macron now seems to be stealing a march on Theresa May, who wanted to be Donald Trump's best friend in Europe. But it does seem like she's got some competition. Yes. Talking to competition. So the last thing I just wanted to ask you about is you may have seen there's some um, you can always tell when Brexit is starting to wobble. Um, and the right wing press in, uh, here tend to resort to the playbook of, well, it's the it's the awful foreigners. They're out to get us. And we had a, a version of that at the weekend with a, a, a leaked report suggesting that uh, the French were determined determined to uh, do down the city of London and they were rubbing their hands with glee at the prospect of bringing lots of banks to Paris. Um, it's, I, I, as you can tell by my turn, I'm slightly sceptical, mainly because most of the banks seem to be going to Frankfurt at the moment rather than Paris. But I, I just wondered how seriously you think we should take this notion that there is sort of um, overt or covert economic warfare going on here, that there is a deliberate attempt to use Brexit to, to do the city down. Do, do you, is that your sense of the mood? It's interesting, isn't it? It's it's one of those plots that seems hidden in in really in plain sight, and all along we have known that France is very keen to get a slice of the city of London's business. I think it took Francois Hollande, the, the former president, a mere four days after the referendum results to say that the city of London was no longer a good location for for euro-denominated trades or this sort of one trillion dollar uh, euros a day business that happens in London. 
but but nonetheless, we should not get not get too carried away with the, this idea because France isn't the EU, and other EU countries have their own ideas about what should happen with the City of London, and there's, and there's also a lot of concern in the European Commission about about the costs of uh, of trades going up if business is forced to relocate outside London, and that's why it's very interesting when they put forward a proposal on how to regulate uh, these kind of trades in future. They didn't insist that all euro-denominated trade should move out of London, but they are looking for a tougher, tougher surveillance regime. So I think we should be a, a bit cautious about um, about seeing a, a great big conspiracy uh, on the part of you of uh, continental Europe. But nonetheless, clearly every every country is going to be interested in, in picking up some business off London if they can. Yes, going to be a tricky summer to come. So um, thank you very much for that, Jennifer. That's it for this week and our attempt to try to explain what Brexit means to you. Uh, please subscribe and review on all your favourite podcatchers and join the discussion on Twitter and the website. If you want to get in touch, it's brexitpodcast at theguardian.com. And if you'd like to review the pod and be in with a chance of featuring in our podcast weekly column, then email podcasts at theguardian.com. Till next time, I've been Dan Roberts. The producer is Rowan Slaney and that was Brexit Means. Thank you for listening. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.